Thanks for tuning in to the audio edition of our Sunday sermons. For more information about Cornerstone, visit cornerstonerome.com. We're going to talk again about villains today, and uh, I'm going to share with you about a guy that you may not have heard of, probably have, but may, it's just not as common uh, as you hear about it. But uh, one thing I want to say to you, just to encourage you um, as we go forward, uh, many of you are reading your Bibles, I know uh, you're, you're asking for bookmarks, so the new bookmarks are out there. And so if you're alongside with us reading your Bible, I just want to encourage you, um, if you've gotten behind or maybe right now you're thinking, oh man, I, I totally like lost track a month ago. It's okay. Just stop where you're at. Don't try to back up and catch up. Just take a card where you are and start today. And just start reading today. And just, just read your Bible. I was going to preach a message. I was actually going to preach on a villain called Jeroboam. It's a real dirt bag too. But this guy's even worse. And as I was reading my Bible, I felt like, this is what I felt like, I had that one already kind of worked out. I felt like God was saying, I want you to preach on this guy instead. And all from just reading, I study. Look, that's what I do. I study, I, I build sermons, I, I feel like I try to follow the Lord in the leading of the, my messages. But I, I was just reading, my, just regular reading, not studying. I didn't have the software open or anything like that, trying to look up words. I was just reading my Bible, all right? And it just felt like God was saying, I want you to preach on this guy. I want you to share about this. That's just from reading a Bible. And that's exactly how many times people ask, well, how does God speak? I'm going to tell you right now. If you're looking outside of this right here for something from God, and this isn't first, I wouldn't trust anything else you heard. Because how do you know if it's God? I've heard people say the craziest things before. They're like, oh, God told me. Well, what did he tell you? And it contradicts five things in Scripture. God's not going to contradict his word. So I encourage you, read your Bible. Read your, you'd be surprised how many times he'll say something to you about your job, about your spouse, about how awesome your husband is, about just things like that. He'll do, you know. He'll tell you how awesome your wife is too and stuff like that. He'll, he'll share things about your kids. He'll share things about, you know, he, he'll do that. Simple Bible reading. You'll be surprised, okay. And then, so the bookmarks are available as you go out. Don't forget that. And then also, we just want to welcome everybody with us. If you're watching online right now, you're checking us out. You're on live stream right now. We want to thank you for being here with us. As we open up our Bibles today, we're going to uh, go to the book of Esther. And today, the villain we're going to talk about is a guy by the name of Haman. Now, how many of you guys have heard of this guy, Haman? Raise your hand if you heard him. Okay, how many of you heard of Esther? Yeah, Esther, of course. She's in Veggie Tales and everything else, right? So it's, she's a lot more popular. The villains aren't near as popular as the heroes in the stories. But the Bible is a book. And it is a book. We, it, I reverence this book. I do. It's God's Word. But listen, Hebrews tells us this about this book. The Old Testament particularly, it was written for our example. These stories that you have in here about these heroes and these villains, they are written for you as examples of how you can live your life, what to avoid, what to do, what to not to do. These things are there for those reasons. So you can learn as much from the villains as you can from the heroes. So I'm going to share a little bit about Haman today. I was in Israel a couple years ago. It was my first trip to Israel. And when I was there, um, I went first with a group that just invited me to go, and a couple of my friends were going, and uh, didn't go to church here or anything like that, and so it was about midweek through the, uh, through the trip, and as we were into Jerusalem, we decided, you know, we had eaten, no, look, listen, I'm not picking, but the food's great, but after a while, um, you know, the food starts tasting the same, things like that. so we were like, we'd heard there was a pizza place down the corner, and uh, so we're like, bro, we're going to get some pizza, and there's one thing I'm going to tell you about, the American everything, 
Um, some people have told me this, and I think it might be true. You know, you think you get the best, but you really don't. Our ingredients, our food, everything else, we get like last pick, I think. It, it's, it has to be, because every other country I go to, their food tastes amazing. Like, I come back here and get pizza, and I go like, I got heartburn, it's indigestion, I feel, ugh. I can go there and eat like two whole pieces and still feel great. What, explain, I don't understand that, so... We decided that now we're getting some pizza, and so we're walking around this little place, little shopping mall kind of deal, and as we're going, we find also, not that, but a couple of shops, and my buddy, he's kind of, you know, wanting to buy something, and, and it's this little coffee shop. He buys them a little coffee machine thing, and man, they're giving out free Nespresso coffee, you know, so we're knocking down shots of espresso. I mean, like, I bet three or four, man. I mean, we're, so now we're wired up on coffee going to get some pizza, and before we get to the pizza place, I come around the corner, and I'm going to tell you something. The Bible talks about how God blessed Israel, all right? He told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a mighty nation. I'm going to bless your kids. I'm going to bless your cows. I'm going to bless everything, your land. Let me tell you something else he blessed is their ice cream. (laughs) Unbelievable. I don't know where that shop was, but if I go back, I'm going to find the thing. This ice cream... I don't know what the flavor was, but it was unreal. Like, I got two scoops on the cone, big-time ice cream, loving it. But as I'm doing all this, I start knowing the sun's going down, and things are changing. Like, all of a sudden, I'm seeing people, like, coming out looking kind of different. And the lady behind the counter, even, I, she's all dressed up funny, and I don't know what she was wearing, some kind of outfit. And, and <clears throat> the kids are dressed up, and, and it's kind of like looking like Halloween, you know. And I'm asking this lady, I was like, hey, why is... Why is everybody dressed up out here? What's going on? She goes, it's Purim. And I was like, of course, they probably pronounce it different. But, you know, it's Purim. And I, I was like, what's that? I mean, not even thinking about things from the Bible. You know, I'm just thinking like it's some cultural thing there, whatever. And she said, oh, it's just a festival. She didn't know either. Because surprisingly enough, not everybody in Israel follows their Bible, much like not everybody in America follows their Bible either. Most people celebrate Easter in America and don't know why. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. But the story of Purim comes straight out of the book of the Bible from Esther. This holiday, we don't, you probably, how many of you have heard of it? Like here, you see, you've seen people, how, you've been to a Purim party. Anybody? Right? No, there's a few of you maybe. But, most, but you've heard of Passover, right? Of course. Passover, the big ones, right? You know, Yom Kippur, anything like that. Purim is not as well known here, but in Israel, it's a big deal. It's a two-day party. Where people are dressed up, not in ghouls and ghosts like Halloween. They're in like superhero outfits. They're dressed up like little animals or whatever else. The kids are so cute and all this kind of stuff. I got a picture I'll show you. Here's a couple of a picture of a kid, a couple of kids anyway. You guys put it up there. Like, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny. The kid with the dunce hat, I mean, God bless her, but she's supposed to be a clown. Clowns are creepy. But anyway, if you see the kid over here to the my left, your, okay, your left too. He's dressed up like a priest. I don't know what's up with the mushroom head, but anyway, it kind of looks, probably should have went back and checked on that a little more, but, but the, the thing he's got on is a, he's dressed up like a priest. They dress up like this everywhere. It's nothing creepy. It's just fun, and they celebrate their deliverance from this evil guy named Haman. Still to this day, a two-day celebration. Isn't that amazing? You know, we do Fourth of July, and it's pretty big. Because we celebrate our independence. But the Jews have had to celebrate many independences from many enemies. So I'm going to pick up this story and I'm going to read to you 
uh, a little bit from Esther and talk a little bit about this, okay? So Esther chapter 2 and verse 21, this is the story of Esther, Mordecai, King Xerxes, and Haman. These four characters are involved in this story, okay? And Esther, just to give you a little backdrop, while you turn to Esther chapter 2 or click to Esther chapter 2, Esther is obviously going to be the queen. She's the girl you saw in the VeggieTale movie, okay? She becomes the queen, and, but she's a Jew. You probably may know that Mordecai is her uncle. He had adopted her because of some things that went on. Her parents no longer. He just brought her in. He's taken care of her. He's looked after her. But he's given her a strict instruction. You tell no one that you're a Jew. Why? Because obviously there was racial tension in the region. There were enemies in the region. Um, so he's told her, don't tell anyone you're a Jew. He doesn't tell anyone he's a Jew. There's many Jews there, but it's hard to tell and distinguish sometimes between who's who and who's what because there's no real differential in skin tones and things like that maybe as much. There's some, but, but they just don't know, and so we don't know, so we're just not going to say who we are because if they find out who we are, there could be problems. So he said, don't tell anyone you're a Jew. So her uncle has taken good care of him, of her. Now, this is, this is at the time now where she has become a queen, but she's still not revealed that she is a Jew. Interesting prelude. If you want to go back and read the story about how she became queen, it's very interesting to see how God even used this whole story with a guy who was pretty much off his rocker drinking so much. But it's an interesting story to see how God put her into a place of authority, and he did not know he was putting a Jew into leadership. Very interesting. But it says one day, verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 21, it says one day as Mordecai, this is the uncle, he was on duty at the king's gate. So he's working for the king. And two of the king's eunuchs, We'll just call them Big and T, because that just should have been their name anyway. They were guards at the door of the king's private quarters. So this is his bed chambers. This is his area where his residency, that's where they're watching over. They became angry at King Xerxes, and they plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot, and he gave the information to Queen Esther. Remember, this is his niece. She then told the king about it, and she gave Mordecai credit for the report. And when an investigation was made and Mordecai's stories found out to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. Let me just tell you something. Bad day for these boys, you know. Uh, this pole would be like the size of a telephone pole outside, sharpened, just stuck and barbecued them, man, like a, like a shish kebab. You know what I'm saying? That's just what it looked like. But, you know, you've got to figure out why were these guys mad. In case you don't know the history and the culture and some of these things right here, they probably had some reasons to be mad. If you back up one verse, you'll see they're eunuch. You don't know what that means? Around here, if you've seen cattle on a farm, there's bulls and there's heifers. Sometimes the bulls get castrated. It ain't a pretty sight. All the men in the house probably just said, oh my, it's for real. It's for real. Back in this culture, because of the fear, if you read the story about Joseph and Joseph and Potiphar's wife, how she came on to Joseph Remember this story? And Joseph ran for his life and all that kind of stuff. Well, Joseph, he was not castrated, if you will. Many of the servants, though, in their culture here, particularly the Persians, they would do this for protection. They didn't want these guys messing around with their gals. They wanted them strictly focused on fighting and protecting them. Take that out of the equation, problem solved. Now, you got to figure, maybe they're a little upset about that. Maybe if you're a lady in here, you might not think much about that. For every guy in the room, that'd probably make you mad. Every day, every day, you're serving a guy who treated you like a farm animal. 
and you're standing up and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, they decide to assassinate him. Bad move. Their day just got worse by being put on a pole. The thing about this and understanding this story and why I'm leading in with this, Mordecai at this moment and until sometime later was never honored. He was never rewarded for protecting the king. Not a thank you, not a, oh, wow, (laughs) these guys were going to kill me. You saved me. Wow, come have some dinner with us. Nothing. Not one thing is done for him. And I'm laying that up to you now because I want you to understand this, that no matter what others do for you or don't do for you, we should always do what's right for God. You know, I see this going on down the road, and, you know, Haley, if she's with me, she knows this about me now, and other people, you may not know this about me, but if, if you swerve once, I'll give you a pass. But if I'm behind you and you cross the line two, three times, I'm 911 in you. I hate it. I'm doing it, man. Because you know why? Because my family drives on the road too. And if you can't keep your tail in the lane, either one of three things is going on. You're something, You're asleep. You're drunk. Or maybe you're texting. I don't care which it is. But if you cross the yellow line, three, to me, 911. Yo, I'm behind somebody that can't keep it in the lane. You say, well, that's kind of rude. No, it ain't. I had a pastor friend that was killed head on because somebody couldn't keep it in the lane. So, no, I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't know how many anybody, anybody else in the room is the 911 people. You like you pick up the phone. You, I do it too. I don't care. Like I've 911 people and followed them till the state trooper got up there and I said, all right, I'm off. I'm still following. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Because why? Because something needs to be done. You just don't stand around and watch bad things happen. I can't stand watching guys treat gals rudely in public. I don't, I wouldn't, obviously, I wouldn't want them to do it in private either, but it drives me nuts, man. I've gotten, I'm not a big guy. Okay, I'm just not. But I, there's a limit. I can only handle so much, man. Guys sitting there getting all brassy with a I'm, I'm like, hey, bro, hey, hey, hey. Oh, man, calm down. It's going to be all right. Be nice. Let's just chill it back up a little bit. And I don't mean like they're in an argument. I mean it looks like he's about to hit her. I can't stand that stuff. <laughs> it, maybe one day it's going to get me in trouble. I don't know. If you come in one Sunday and you see me in a black eye, I got in trouble. I crossed the line maybe. But you just can't stand around and watch things go on and do nothing about it, can you? That's what happened with Mordecai. How could he stand there and know that his niece is the queen? The king may not be the best guy in town, but it's not right to let him be assassinated. He's done nothing wrong to him, so he reports it. First thing I want you to share with you this morning is this, is serve God and not man. God gives us things that we should do. Let's serve him first and not man. Let me give you a couple of verses from this. Let me just read these to you. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Watch this. You can't serve God, and this translation says enslaved to be, to mon- be enslaved to money. One translation says you can't serve God and serve mammon. You can't serve God and can't serve money. You'll be devoted to one hate the other. Here's how it works. If you serve God, if you love God, if you got, put God first, your money will follow, Right? If money is first, then guess who else follows? God. People say this all the time. They get, you know, get frustrated about the tithe. I don't understand why people get so frustrated about it other than the fact that it must be your God. Not picking, I'm just saying. That's the only reason why we get frustrated about things like that. Because at some point, money has to bow to God. It's somewhere. And it doesn't matter. Economics don't matter. It's poor, rich, it doesn't matter. Money has to bow to God. If it doesn't, then your God is bowing to your money. 
right? Don't like that one? Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. What does he say first? God's not unjust. He'll not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you have shown your love to him first before you go to others. See, a lot of times we're in a culture now of compassion. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's good. But the compassion sometimes has exceeded the values and the things that God says to honor me first with. And so now we're looking to people and everything that people want and saying, well, let's give everybody what they want because we love everybody. That's not love. That's called enablement. I got an alcoholic for a dad, okay? You don't enable them. You stop it. You say no. You don't give things. You, you have to do what you have to do. But we're in a society today where it says, no, just love everybody. I, love isn't just giving everybody what they want. It's being, I love you as a friend. Let me just be upfront with you right now. Can I do that? They may hate your guts afterwards, but that's real love. Jesus never walked around to people and said, it's okay, darling. You can have five husbands. It's not a problem. No, 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 no. He says, he addressed the thing, talked about the thing. And as she left, she realized, man, I, I got to make a decision here. Every, the Pharisees, he didn't cut any slack with. The disciples, he cut no slack with. He loved them. But he was not a passive God. And he's not a passive God today. Colossians 3.23 says this, work willingly as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Why does he say that? Because I assure you, nobody on here, no, that works for me, does this. But I assure you other places, there are people who you don't have a great guy you work for, right? There's somebody, don't raise your hand because they might be in the room. They might be watching live too, so don't raise your hand, they may see you. But you've been there and you've worked for someone before who just wasn't your favorite person to work for. I have too. And as a Christian, so what does that mean? You have a decision to make as a believer. Am I going to be selfish and because they won't give me what I want, not work as hard for them? Or am I going to shift my attitude and work as into the Lord? Like, I mean, man, listen, I know it stinks. Working in the restaurant business, it's tough. But at some point, serving those tables, are you serving those people or are you serving God? Right? When you're answering the phone call and you're a telemarketer, whatever you're in, CS, whatever you are, CSR, if you're doing things and you're, you're answering the phone and, and the employer is not being good to you and he's not being, do you take it out on the people that, no, we work as unto the Lord. When things aren't going right for us, that's when we dig deep and we say, you know what, as a believer, I'm going to work as unto the Lord. I'm, I'm going to serve God first and not man. Now, why do I say all that? Because here's where we're going to pick up the shift in the story. Mordecai has warned and brought deliverance to the king, but watch what's happened. Esther chapter 3, verse 1, it says, After all of these events, King Xerxes promotes who? Wait a minute. Who's the guy that saved his life? Where'd this guy come from? You know, who's this guy? I bet Mordecai, can't you imagine? Come on, if he's like you and I, which I'm sure he was. Have you ever been overlooked by someone for a Haman in your life? You were the person that did good. You did the job right. And all of a sudden, you're like, uh, who is that? Where did they come from? Of course, we all have. But it says this. He promotes Haman, the son of a big word, the Agagite. <laughs> I know, I, I'm sorry, but it is a big word. Notice what the Agagite is. He is a what? He is from the descendants of the, oh, now, have you heard of these people? 
That's some bad dudes in the Bible. Any, any of them guys with the ites at the end, any of the ites family, they got cousins, brothers, aunts, and uncles, any of those families, they're not good in the Bible. The Amalekites. Joshua fought the Amalekites. They were everywhere. He advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate, they bowed down and they paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. The king didn't say that he requested that they bow down and pay homage to. Probably it was more of respect, as we would do this. If you're in military, you notice if you watch military, they salute officers, they salute military. Doesn't matter. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. Who it is coming off the plane, like them or hate them, doesn't matter. Marines stand there, what do they do? They salute. They honor the president. Why? Because that's what you do. You respect the office. I don't care who you, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You salute, you honor, respect. If I see military in the airport, what I do typically, how are you doing, sir? I don't care if they're 20 years younger than me. Sir, how are you doing? Why? Because that man or that woman deserves my respect. That's honor. Probably that's the type of honor that was going on. These other guys, more than likely, Haman took it a little too far because here's why I know this. Two words are given. They bow down before him. Okay. Typically, you bow down before the king. The word to pay homage to is actually a word of worship. It means you didn't just bow down before him. You worshipped him as in if a god or a deity. I just don't think the king signed an order and said, hey, you know, they bow down before me, but they can worship you. What do you think? Given this guy, and what you see a little bit more about him, it seems like that might be what it is. Verse 3, it says, Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, "Uh Uh-oh, why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether... Mordecai's reason would stand. Watch this out. For he had told them that he was a a Jew. Oops. Kind of slipped. You ever been talking to somebody before and they start pushing your buttons, you know? Like maybe you're at work and you're just cool and you're just doing your job, everything's fine. And they just keep pressing you, man. Keep pressing you and keep pressing you. And finally, they cross on where it just comes out of you and you say something to the effect of, because I'm a Christian. Oh, I knew something was about, I knew something, I knew it was something about you I didn't like. <laughs> they don't say that, but you can just, the difference. I've been on airplanes before, and I'm going along, and you know you do the exchange thing where they say, hey, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? And I'll try to get out and say things like, um, I'm in community relationships, like community relations. I do, um, heck, I'm a pastor. Oh, uh, okay. Then I start, hey, can I ask you a question? Like, yeah. Never fails. Never fails. I try to avoid it the best I can. But once it comes out, there's no taking it back. And now it changes the relationship. Have you noticed that? It changes. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I understand why. So they go on to say this. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. Now, why was he filled with rage? Because he's an Amalekite. He hates the Jews. Once he found out he was a Jew, everything changed. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Watch the rage in the guy. For they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. One guy, it shows you what was already in his heart. He wants to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai who were throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Let me just say something to you. Mordecai is the hero. He saved the king's life. And what repayment does he get? There's a guy that's been promoted over him who's a Jew hater, wants to kill him and his whole crew. 
no one has said thank you to Mordecai. This is why we serve God first and not man. Because I'm telling you right now, there's going to be times in our lives, each of your lives, where you're going to have be faced with something. And it's either going to be God or it's going to be man. And whichever one we decide to follow determines the outcome. Because there are times when people do not treat us fair. It just doesn't happen. And I don't know why Christians cry and whine so much about it. They don't treat me right. I'm a believer. Why can't I pray at work? You're a Christian. You're not supposed to be treated right. Jesus said, blessed are they who are persecuted for me. Persecution is a part of our faith. Like, if, if all we have in Christianity is ice cream and cupcakes and cookies and everything's going great, we're like, Jesus is so wonderful. And that's your life. I mean, I'm sorry, but we have brothers and sisters in the world where that is not the reality. Persecution, I mean, it's nice to have somebody cuss you every now and then. You're like, like, I'm doing something. I mean, if everything in your life is so rosy and well that nothing's going wrong, maybe we should stop and ask a question. Man, well, you know, there's this old song, and I'll move on after this. There's this, there's this old song. It's, it's old, man. Like, it's old for all you guys. It's not so old. But there's this group back in the day. I couldn't find any good Christian music to listen to. There's a group that came out. It's called Big Tent Revival. You should Google that, all right? Old school Christian rock and blues type band. They had this song that basically said this. If loving God was a crime, I'd be an outlaw. That's cool, man. I just love that. I know it's cheesy, but that is so cool. I love that. And I thought to myself, you know what? How many of us really look like Jesse James in here? How many outlaws do we really have in here? Do they really even know? Right? I'm not saying pick a fight with people. I'm just saying if we get nothing might be an indication that maybe we're not standing up as, as loud as we should, if you will. Mordecai is overlooked, not rewarded. And why is this so important? Because no matter what comes at you, serve God first, not man. Here's the next thing I want you to see from this. You have to stand for God and not for man. If you can't serve God, you'll never be able to stand for God. This is why the little things matter to Jesus, why he says, if you're not faithful in that which is small, I can't make you ruler over that which is great. It's the, don't mistake the little things. Don't mistake the little things. The little things matter. They really do. They really do. It's the little stuff. But nobody else sees. Not picking, not condemning. Don't get Christian hurt feelings. Just saying, the little stuff matters to God. Because if you can't handle the little things, you won't handle the big stuff. But here's the thing. When the big stuff comes along, if we serve him, we can stand for him. So in Acts 5, verse 28, you've got to stand for God and not for man. But listen to this, Acts 5, 28. It's talking about Peter and the apostles. They were told not to preach any longer in the name of Jesus. They said, we gave you strict orders. This is the high council, the Sanhedrin, if you will. We gave you strict orders to never again to teach in this man's name. And he said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want us to make, make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. There's a verse for our day. You don't have to be rude, arrogant, mean, or disrespectful to people. I'm going to respect everybody. I don't care what they like, believe, or go for in life. It doesn't matter. I'm going to respect everybody. But I just expect the same respect back. I may not agree with it, 
But if you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth. Tell you the truth, right? We can follow and obey our leaders up to a point, but listen, here's what happens. If the line crosses disobedience to God, then we have to object. Even if it costs us. Mordecai, it wasn't an act of disobedience or disrespect for the king or the king's order. The guy was asking him not to just bow down to him. He was asking him to worship him. I'm sorry. I can give respect all day long to the president. I can honor the I can honor any government. I'll honor all day long. But when you ask me to worship you, I can't do that. I just can't do that. It's the same story with Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrew boys. They couldn't do it either. I'm sorry. We can go along with a lot of things. You know what? Uh, I guess, you know, I can eat vegetables and drink water and things like that. If you'll let me do that kind of thing. If you don't, I mean, you know, where does the line get drawn there? But, man, listen, when you ask me to worship idols, I can't do that. At some point, it crosses God. I've got to object. And this is where Mordecai was with Haman. In in chapter 3 and verse 7, this is what happened. So Haman is so angry with him. It says, <clears throat> Nestor chapter 3 and verse 7, So in the month of April during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. And the lots were called, watch this, Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. And then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain, watch this, race of people. Can I just throw something out in this region? There were many races in this region. The region of Persia, this region had multiple ethnicities. But notice which one he went after, the Jews. There were multiple tribes and tongues and nations and cultures in this region. He goes after the Jews. He said, there's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Well, they are worshiping God, that's why. They kept the Sabbath, they did things like that. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give personally 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. In other words, Haman is going to pay for the destruction of the Jews. He's not even asking the king to pay for it. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, the son of, big word, the Agagite, and the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. This is the same almost story that Hitler used with the Holocaust. There's a race of people that's different from us, and something needs to be done about it. Same almost identical thing. Let me just say something to all of us in here that we all know, but we should all Affirm, and if you want to stand up for something, this is something you should stand for. God created all peoples. He created every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and they will all worship him one day. They will all worship him one day. This is what Revelation says. It says, after this, Revelation 7, 9, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes, and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 
Anytime anybody starts saying anything negative about another ethnicity, we ought to stand up and say, hey, you know what? That group of people are going to be standing up before God one day, and they're going to worship him just like you. There is no difference. It's just people. It's just people. There's no difference. But I'll tell you something. If you don't serve God, you won't be able to stand against it. You got to be able to stand and say, you know what? Those people matter. When Ariel was here last week, I don't know how many, I wonder how many of us went tilt when he said Muslims were being murdered by the Buddhists. Because in our culture, you're taught all Muslims must be the enemy. I hate to tell you this. This is going to shock us all. There's a lot of Muslims in the world that live a lot more Christian life than Christians do. They're not all extremists. I mean, you get on some of the planes and go overseas. I'm not making this up. They block out all the language. They don't even say, like, the non-explicit words. They block them all out. The guy's talking goes, and it's gone. There's nothing there, right? It's just no language, nothing there. They cut out parts of the movie. We don't do that. It's funny how we can pick and say, well, they are there, there. No, 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 no. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to be standing before the throne of God along with Americans. We're not the only ones. They're going to all worship him one day, all of them. And we should stand when it's necessary. But let me just tell you something. There's times that you're placed in positions of authority. There's times that you're placed in positions of authority or positions in your life that God gives you a voice. And this last, this last thing I want to share with you today is this. We have to speak for God and not for man. you got to serve God not man. You've got to serve God first, not man. You're going to have to stand for God, not man. The last thing I want to share today is you've got to speak for God. I love some of the songs we were worshiping with a while ago. This speak revival, prophesy that might be done. You know, I know a lot of people say that America is this and that. We're going down the hill and down the drain, down the toilet. It's going to be flushed like a big old, you know, whatever. It's bad. You know, that's always come around. Every nation that has reversed course, God's always had a remnant. It just depends on what you fill your mind with as to what you believe. If you believe that what they tell you on the news is true, that everybody has just turned their back on everybody, this is all gone, or do you believe what God says? I have friends that are up in... Boston, and we, by the way, you just got to help out with this, but some friends up in Boston who are planting churches right now in a region where over 50% almost right now have no religious affiliation whatsoever, period. They, it's not going post-Christian. They've gone full circle. Like, they have no knowledge of who God is. There's people making a difference there. Why? Because they believe that God can resurrect. And I believe the same thing too. I don't believe God's done. I believe he wants to resurrect. But the key is this, can we speak for God and not for man? So in Esther chapter 4 and verse 13, watch this. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all of the other Jews are killed. Kind of a strong word, don't you think? Sometimes, you know, you think that you're in a situation you're in, you think, well, we got it easy because we're in America. Maybe don't think that just because we live in America that persecution won't come visit us. Verse 14 says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. I love that. It will arise. (laughs) 
but you and your relatives will die. And then Mordecai says this, who knows? Perhaps you were made clean for just a time as this. Let me just say this as we wrap up today. There are times when God gives you something to stand for and say. For some of you in this room, maybe you're in positions of authority for a reason. But let me just throw out something to you. Be careful that you don't stand for everything. Because if you stand for everything, if you waste your voice on everything, then you'll never be heard on anything. And we throw out some, I know these are objectionable and debatable and probably get a little criticism if certain people heard me say this, but you're in here and hopefully everybody online, you'll hear this and understand what I'm saying and get my point. I'm all about taking care of the planet. I think you shouldn't litter. I think it's foolish that we have to put up signs that say, if you litter, you'll be fined. I think that's the biggest waste of money ever. Common sense should tell you not to throw crap out on the streets. Right? That's a pretty common sense answer. I don't see the difficulty in that. I'll take care of the planet. Pick up your trash. Don't put stuff in the ocean that's not good. It's just common sense, right? But that's not my mission. I'll do it. I'll take care of stuff, but that's not my mission. My voice wasn't given for me to proclaim the passion of recycling. I'll do it, but that's not my mission. So therefore, it's not what proclaims out of my mouth constantly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I believe that animals should be taken care of. I think people who abuse animals, that's wrong. I think it's just wrong. I, I don't need an organization to help. I know that's wrong. I have saved earthworms off of the sidewalk for my kids. I believe in taking care of animals. I don't like cats, but I'm not abusive to them, okay? If I saw one hungry, I might turn my head for a minute, but eventually I would give the stinking cat some milk. Hopefully someone would come get it, because after you do that, now they don't leave. I just, you know, I'm not inhumane. I just don't like them, okay? But that's not my mission. It's not my, it's not my folks. It's not my voice. It's not what I should proclaim. It's not my mission. If I stand for that and I stand for this, then guess what? When I start standing for God, that's lost in all the noise of everything else that I'm standing for. And I believe this. I believe so strongly in so many things. But maybe God puts you right here, right now for such a time as this. Maybe there's some people around you in your life. I don't know, but maybe they're there for such a time as this. You might could influence them to Christ. It's possible. Have you thought about the job that you hate, that it's not fun right now? Have you looked around the room and maybe there are people there that don't know Jesus? What, what, what if God put you there? Now, I thought about that before. I've worked some really messed up jobs. I really have, man. In college, I had to work a job and I was terrible at it. I lost so much money in this job. and in sales. And it's not that I couldn't sell. It's just I didn't believe in this thing. It was like some kind of security system. I just didn't believe in it. And I tried and I tried. And I tell the people... You know, and it just never worked out right. I mean, I had one guy try to buy it from me. He wanted to buy it, and I talked him out of it. <laughs> That's how bad it was. I just didn't believe in any of it. But then I got to thinking about the people that I was working with, and I got a chance to minister to a guy who needed ministry. How many times has God put you together with things like that? 
So as a Christian, what are you known for? So I wrap up with this thought today. What are you known for? You may only get a few appointments with people in your life. You might only get a few appointments with certain people in your life. What are we known for? So that's exactly what Esther did. Esther spoke up. She spoke up big time against Haman. The story that concludes with this in Esther 7, 5, it says, who would do such a thing as she's told this to the king? This guy Haman is, is trying to kill the Jews. So King Xerxes demanded, who would be so presumptuous as to touch you, Esther replied. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. So Haman now has grown pale with fright before the king and the queen because his story's out. He's going to kill the Jews, and Esther stood up for him. Verse 7 says, Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage, and he went out into the palace garden. And Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with the queen, for he knew that the king was going to kill him. In verse 8, In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, probably just was saying, Please, like, you know how you, Please don't kill me. I don't know if you've never been in that situation before. I've never been, but I can imagine you would... Please don't do this, right? As he's falling towards her in a plea, the king comes back in and says, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered his face, signaling his doom. And then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then the king says, impale Haman on the... So they impaled Haman on the pole. He had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. He's cool after that. Just wanted you to see this, that the enemy's plan can backfire. That just because you think things aren't going your way right now, I promise you this, that the enemy's plan can backfire. It can turn around. It really can. It really can turn around. And so I don't know who you are in there right now, but let me just say a couple of things. As I pray and close out, okay? I'm going ask our worship team to come up, and I'm going I'm to pray and close out. You need to remember, first of all, this, that God has not forgotten you nor your situation, okay? First of all, he doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget the Jews, and he doesn't forget you. You need to understand this. If you're going through a difficulty right now, that God sees you, he knows you're there, and the thing is this, is you need to remember this, that God is for you and not against you. He is for you and not against you. That needs to go back in your mouth again. Instead of saying things like, well, I just don't know why God would let this happen. No, 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 no. No, God is for me. He is not against me. My God stands for me. He's behind me. He's before me. He's beside me. Everywhere I go, he's with me, and he has not left me. Why do I say that? Because the Jews understand this. To this very day, they have a celebration and a festival, dressing up a bunch of kids for two days to remember this event that Haman was destroyed, the plan was foiled. It would have been another holocaust then, but the plan was stopped because someone stood up and said what needed to be said when it needed to be said. It's so strong today that the Jews have memorials set up. Here's one of those memorials right here. And this first image, this is in a region outside of, I think it's the Netherlands. I believe it's where this one is set up, but it's a Holocaust uh, museum here. You guys got the image there? 
put up for me. And this is first, the language is in uh, Dutch and it's in Hebrew. Okay? Dutch and Hebrew. You'll see the, the star David right there. The Jews that are portrayed right there as a walk of pain, of hurt. And it's in Dutch and it's in Hebrew right under that. And the, this is the translation. The translation is this. Check it out. Put up the next image there. Remember what Amalek has done to you. Do not forget. See, they are notorious for remembering what God has done for them and what their enemies has done to them. So much so they still put it on a plaque. This happened over, well over a millennia ago. They still don't forget. You remember what um, Amalek did to you. Don't you ever forget it. Why do they do that? Because they know they have an enemy. They don't shy away from it. They don't apologize for it. They defend themselves in any means necessary. And I don't blame them. Some bully would live next to you and kept picking on your kids. What would you do? Oh, y'all come have to bail me out. I'm just telling you right now. Mess with my family, I'll straight up have to be bailed out. I'm not kidding. I, I'm not one of those guys. I'm just not going to sit back and watch somebody, just some big guy beat up my little girls. Are you kidding me? Call one of y'all. Hey, can you come get me? Because I'm in trouble. I don't blame them for defending themselves. Can I just point out something to all of us in this room right now? Remember what the enemy has done. Don't ever forget it. He's the one that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's the one that comes to accuse The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you of things that are not even true. He makes up lies and tells you things like Pastor Peter was talking about a while ago, that you're never going to be good enough. God doesn't love you. You're not, you know, you're never going to be good enough for God. That is all a lie. Remember what the enemy did, and don't you ever forget it. Put God's words back in your mouth and say, you know what? No, 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 no. Pastor Peter said a while ago, I've got a covenant. I don't care what I feel like right now. He said I'm saved, then I'm saved. I don't care what I don't care what I feel like right now. He said that he was for me, then bless the Lord right now. I feel like I'm all by myself, but I know my God is with me. You know, I don't feel like anybody's going before me right now, but I know his word says he goes before me and makes a way. Where there is no way, man. That's a that's a, that's a way maker right there, baby. He goes behind me so that if I don't see the enemy behind me, guess who's behind me? He's my rear guard. That's what the Bible says. You know, he's got angels that surround him and camp about me to protect me even if I dash my foot against a stone. Now, maybe one of them was taking a nap one day because I've dashed my foot on a stone before and it hurt. But I'm just saying they're surrounding me right now. You've got to believe that. So right now, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through right now. But I'm going to tell you one thing. You should decree and put in your mouth that my God is for me. Whatever battle you're facing right now, my God is for me. My God is for me. My God is for me. Look at your neighbor right now. I know you maybe you don't even like them. Maybe you don't want to talk to them. It doesn't matter right now. Look at them and put this in your mouth and tell them, decree this out of your mouth right now. My God is for me. Now, look back at them because they didn't answer, right? Maybe they didn't say anything. This is your chance, okay? Look back at them and let them say it to you. Tell them right now, say, my God. Tell them, open your mouth and say it, my God 
is for me. It's important. You need to know that. So come on, right now, come on, we're going to go before God and we're going to pray and then we're going to worship right now. But I want you to remember this right now. My God is for me. Lord Jesus, you're here in this room right now. We know that you're for us. We know that there is nothing that can stand against us because you are with us, God. Because you are with us, because you are for us. God, you never leave us. You never forsake us. God, you never turned your back on us. Not one time have you ever looked the other way, God. But you have always looked towards us and said, you are my beloved. I welcome you into my family. You shed your blood for us. You gave your life for us. You you resurrected Jesus for us. So, God, we thank you that we stand before you today righteous and clean and holy to come into your presence, Lord. So, Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody here that they don't know you, first of all, if the devil's telling them a lie, that you don't love them, in Jesus' name, we just break that off. You said in your word, for God so loved the world, the unsaved, that you sent Jesus to die for us. So even when we were yet sinners, you died for us. So, Father, we thank you right now. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray they come to you right now as we pray. Come on in this room. We're going to pray this prayer together. If you're here, you don't know Christ. Repeat this after me. The whole church is going to pray with you right now. Say, dear Jesus, I come before you and I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. Not my money, not my prestige, not my position in life, but you are Lord over all. Forgive me of all sin. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, if you pray that prayer right now, church, give me a hand, would you? We're so proud of you. So very proud of you right now. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.